Down Your Unders. Down Your Unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 72 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri, and I'm joining you from the trappiest of trap houses. I'm right now sitting in the stream room of the Art of War dungeon, as I like to call it, uh, with Mr. John Lennon sitting in an adjacent room for this wonderful Dark Angels retrospective review. How are you doing, brother? I am doing fantastic, Adam. It is good to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, talk about what we're talking about. Me too, man. It's going to be a really nice one. This is a, a faction that's very close to my heart, being one of my primary armies. And uh, hopefully by now you guys know the quality of these retrospectives. And the reason we do them is because we think there's a lot of life in this book. And a book and a code that goes through many different iterations, many meta changes, and many different uh, innovations throughout the life of an edition and throughout the life of a book. And we're here to rejoin the Dark Angels Codex six to nine months after it's released to see how it's dealing, see how it's doing, what are the rules and things that have held up, what's dropped off, and where are they at now. But before we get started, I'd well done under it's two-part podcast the first of which comes out lovingly for you guys tuesday mornings eastern standard time and it's a two-part like i said the first the second part comes out for patrons and subscribers only over on the art of war 40k which you can go over to and buy a one-click bundle for the part twos of this podcast in addition to the part two of the wonderful black blake law uh headlined uh, art of war unbroken in addition to the art of war i'm not going to call it vanilla i'm going to call it the flagship the venerable art of war uh, podcast run by Mr. Steve Joel and co. Um, so yeah, one click bundle, we get all three. Other, other than that, you can go to Patreon and sign up to support me directly if you so wish. I do prefer if you go to the website and support all of the amazing Art of War products in addition to the War Room if you want to get involved. Perfect segue. John, tell us a little bit about that. All right, yeah, absolutely. So you can find out a lot about the Art of War War Room on our website. It's theartofwar40k.com. In the War Room, you can get access to premium coaches such as myself, Nick Nonavati, Richard Siegler, Jack Harpster, and many, many more. Uh, we are there to teach you about Warhammer. It's a global community for like-minded players. We're all there because we have something in common. We all love Warhammer, we all love playing it, and we all want to get better at it. It's a great way to join a community and uh, just become a member of something better and improve at the hobby you love. Fantastic, man. Could have said it better myself. Now, jumping into this one, I could, did, did you do the original Art of the Dark Angels review with me, or was it with John D. I can't remember who I did it with, but I wanted to have John on because John is an expert in all things Marine. And more than that, I've talked to John about Dark Angels lists and innovation at absolute nauseam. He's well and truly sick of me talking to him about how they're a lot better than people think, or they're a lot worse than people than people believe, uh, depending on what day of the week or hour of the day it may be. Um, but John, onto your first impressions of this book when it first came out, because it did make quite a damn splash, didn't it? So the first impressions on the book when it came out, and uh, I, I guess we should remind people, I think this came out in January of 2021. Um, yep. When it came right. out, there was kind of a feeling of, oh, the, the world is ending. Um, I don't think Marines were that powerful at the time, but there weren't many ninth edition books, so they were still very good. We all had the memory of Marines being very oppressive. Uh, Transhuman physiology had just been changed from 2CP to 1CP in the baseline Marine Codex. And some people thought that was too strong. And then Dark Angels get Inner Circle, which of course comes with the, the ability to make all of your Inner Circle units, your Deathwing, uh, get the transhuman rule. And a lot of people thought that that was way too much. Dark Angels had good secondaries. They had some generic good rules to go along with it. But the big thing that I remember was people complaining about how 
the Deathwing would immediately be way too tough to kill, and yep. they had really good inbuilt secondaries, and it would be very boring to play against, and it was just too mm-hmm. good for the game as a whole. Like, it was too strong. You're absolutely right. There was a sense of coming from 8th edition and the tools that people had wielded in 8th edition to great success. You know, things like a Castellan, things like the massed firepower we saw here, there, and everywhere um, just did not have the ability to scratch the paint on these, you know, Deathwing units, these Terminator units, whatnot. Um, And it wasn't really until Drakari came along that their pedestal as possibly the preeminent faction in the game, sub-faction in the game, was shaken at all. And then, of course, Drakari came out and I can no longer win a damn game, you know? Um, and I was in love with this codex. It came out, and I was I was really impressed. I did think the transhuman, the pure transhuman was too much. I thought it would get nerfed down to being baby transhuman. That was seen from, you know, many other instances, you know, can't be wounded on a one or a two. Um, but it has stayed the test of time and has proven that it wasn't, it didn't ruin the game, did it? It didn't ruin the game at all. Yeah, even when it came out and Dark Angels were very strong, we saw them podium but we never quite got that, you know, event where everything was Dark Angels or where Dark Angels won three majors in three different, you know, parts yes, of the world. Yes, exactly right. Same we never got that from Dark Angels, despite all the hype. I mm. think Dark Angels were good, but but failed to, list, to live up to that initial hype. So what, what I think like they did, they opened the door for the, and they were the first real iteration of the list that was built to do nothing. It was built in order to, it wasn't built to be dynamic or fast or explosive. It was built to be consistently durable and score points by default. And I think that was the the legacy that I don't like about this book um, because it did create a very stale meta to follow. Because, it, of course, um, I can't remember if it was directly before or directly after, it was the, the, um, the Death Guard Codex, which played in a similar manner, but was just a lesser version of what this was, trying to do the same thing. Um, and then it spawned everybody to try and, uh, build build all your lists to play to the last. Build all your lists to play to the last and Oath and then, you know, play... Of course, there was an extremely oppressive and silly secondary that is still very stupid um, that Dark Angels have called Stop and Defiance, which we'll get to later in the review. Um, is that how you thought as well? Because I really didn't like what Dark Angels did to the meta. Is, is, it was my impression. Yeah, um, I definitely felt that as well. I thought that Dark Angels were just going to be too good because they were so hard to kill. Um, mm. And one of the things... Uh, that was part of that was, you know, your, was it called Stubborn Defiance? Yeah. Uh, the non-interactive play. I, I just didn't, th- it ended up not being as good as we thought because. Yes. Uh, you gave so much agency to your opponent. It, it did. Like I, I found myself playing with Dark Angels a lot right when it came up. Uh, I was myself uh, taking Stubborn Defiance half the time. And then I kind of realized like, well, I'm playing a board control army. Like I might as well take Stranglehold anyway, because it's the same category. Like, this isn't actually that much better because it is in the same category as like Engage in All Fronts or yeah. Stranglehold. So it didn't feel as good of an automatic 15 as it looked. And it, it looked like you could just sit back and get a 45 on secondary every single game. Exactly right. And yeah, and what it did was, was warp people's perception of the competitive game being interesting to some extent because people would as a commentator people or an analyst people would look at games with dark angels and you would just kind of sigh because you knew that game was just not going to be exciting um it might be fun it might be deep it might be um interesting for the people playing it but as a spectator as a person from the outside looking in you're like so the dark angels player he shot his terminators into talon masters and didn't move a muscle and the next turn shoot your Telemasters and <laughs> Terminators and not move a muscle. And it was just a bit of a, yeah, it's just a bit of a boring yeah. game for the next couple of months following. I, I think Dark Angels were also the first army that could properly abuse Bodyguard. Because it yes, used to be that yeah, you on. could, they, they weren't the first army with Bodyguard, but Terminator Bodyguards are much better than normal ones, especially when they have yes. to do in the circle rules. 
And they were the first ninth edition army that had a good character, at yes. least that was popular, that had a good character that could do something besides hold an objective while not being interacted with. Exactly. People right. use bodyguard to hold objectives, but they weren't really killing you, so you worked around it. Mm, spot on. And what you can do with Talamars is chucking that objective, bodyguard them, and then not only they're holding that objective, they're probably slaughtering what you were <clears> going to try and come to take that objective next turn. Um, just because Dimper being a very good shooting platform. But let's jump into the, the review proper. We're going to be kicking this off on page. Let me just roll up to it. Kicking it off on detachment abilities, which is on page 42 for those following at home. Um, so detachment abilities, man, there's actually quite a bit of depth here in uh, their monofaction bonus, which is Sons of the Lion. Now, this comes with usually you get a monofaction bonus for some other factions and you'll get like one blanket rule. Like for example, for being uh, Blood Angels, you'll get a plus one attack in Assault Doctrine, etc. What do what Dark Angels get that makes them unique or makes them different? So, I mean, you, you kind of have to talk about the wings with Dark Angels. Where you have, of course, Deathwing and Ravenwing. And those mechanics really make a difference. I mean, so they get Inner Circle for all of their Deathwing units. Or, well, I'm sorry, Inner Circle for everyone with the, the keyword Inner Circle. And then those people just automatically get rules. They also get the really cool detachment rules that we haven't seen in any other Marine chapter so far. Where you can take a, uh, a Vanguard of Deathwing or an Outrider of Ravenwing. And you can kind of have a pseudo battalion where you give units objectives secured for free. And it, it doesn't take up CP if your Warlord's in it. So with Dark Angels, you immediately got better detachment building rules than the other Space Marine chapter, which removed the troop, the troop tax. And let's be honest yep. here, Space Marines have expensive troops. Expensive, yeah, exactly right. Um, but and not, and not only that, there, so there's a, a threefold. There's even a, and this is the one that's come up for me the least, is the green faction bonus here. Because, yeah, you get, a, you get a different faction depending on what wing you are, depending on what doctrine you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you want to read them off? Yeah, sure. So Sons of the Lion is the rule, and it's breaking down to three components, the first of which is Speed of the Raven. Whilst the Devastator's Doctrine is active for your army, add three to your movement characteristics, and you can fire in a turn in which you advanced, but you just hit it a, a minus one penalty. So you essentially turn into assault weapons on all your on all your uh, Raven Wing units. The next one being the Fire Discipline in the Tactical Doctrine. Infantry units from your army can shoot into combat but they always hit on a 5+. plus. But because you are Dark Angels and you get plus 1 to hit for being stationary, you essentially always, that, that hit will be on a 4+, plus because it's an, it's an unmodified, sorry, it's a modifiable 5+. plus. Um, and then Implacable, in addition to that, is the last one. And while the Assault Doctrine is acting from your army, Deathwing Infantry and Dreadnought models um, reroll wounds against uh, units with a, with a characteristic of 8 or more. Sorry, I guess a unit with a wounds characteristic of eight or more. Apologies. Uh, and so that's your three tiers there. Now I can safely say that the middle one, the fire discipline one, has come up twice or three times for me. Uh, but you can definitely build lists to abuse and take advantage of the other two, can't you? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think you. I think people were taking the most advantage of Ravenwing, where you know we talked about initial impressions. I don't think Ravenwing was nearly as possible as. Um, what is it, popular when we started off, but it definitely Correct. had its moment in the sun. Um, I think the Ravenwing one was the easiest to build into because it was your Devastator one. So you got it on turn one. You didn't have to yep. plan about, ooh, am I going to yep. get this at the right time? Nope, it's turn one. Don't you worry about it. It's there for you. Exactly um, right. I didn't actually see many people build around the Assault Doctrine one either. It came up sometimes, mm. but I felt like Speed of the Raven was 100% the one you used. Now, there's another, there's another component to the detachment abilities that is quite is very spicy, extremely spicy. Did you cover that already, the, the first and second companies? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was just talking about with first and second company, how you can build the different detachments. I skipped right over the, the doctrine abilities and straight to the detachments, honestly. Because <laughs> it is the juicies. This is the juicy stuff. And was this the first time we saw something like this in ninth edition, where G-Dub specifically gave you a bonus for building a detachment in a certain way? Because this is, this is like a pseudo-formation, essentially. 
Yeah, I, I think it is actually the first time we really had this kind of mechanic because, yeah, honestly, like GW just hadn't put it in anywhere, which I thought was weird because, you know, we've had this in the past in previous editions, but they kind of went away from it. So I, I was surprised that they added it in once because we haven't seen this frequently. Like this has not been a popular thing. Exactly right. And so uh, and for the first step of the company ones, it's essentially, it's just like first company. If you take all Deathwing in the detachment, you get your CP back and you get OPSEC on your Termies. Um, and you're going to get the CP back if your warlord is in that detachment. Same thing for the for the second company, the Raven Wing. If you if everything is uh, in an outrider, that's all got the Raven Wing keyword. You get obsec on your bikes, and then if your warlord's there, you get your CP back as well. Um, I have yet to build a Dark Angels list that doesn't have one of these in it. How? how what about yourself? Oh, 100. I I don't think I have it all. So what I like like every single time, I don't want to pay the troop tax. The Dark Angels get around that because they get you the one free detachment. Uh, I think I start every single list with either a Vanguard or an Outrider. Exactly right. And a lot of my lists these days have sometimes have both. Now, moving on from that, because I, I do believe those two things are the two biggest uh, quality of life improvements for just about any army in the game. And those are, I think I think they're the best things in the book uh, because of how much they improve your quality of life and how much more flexibility and freedom they give you. But um, what's your verdict? Um, I honestly, I, th- I think that, I think they are one of my favorite things. I love Second Company the most. I know I started off taking first company a lot, yeah. but where we are right now, I feel like I take second company in almost every list all the time. My first company ones look so different than they did. They, they, they. When I first, when I first had them, it was just termies, 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 and terminator characters. Um, and now, what's in my first company is so vastly different, and it's usually a support element for my second company detachment if I'm taking both. Um, the next up, this is going to be funny: the rights of initiation rules. Um, I have never used these. I do not see the point of using these. I don't see why they're included. In fact, you could. There's nothing else on this page. You could just almost blank this page out from the the codex. It does nothing of meaning that I can find. But what are your thoughts? Um, no, you're you're literally <laughs> never going to use this. Um, if you no, I, I'm I'm not, I'm not even going to lie to you. I haven't We're used not, it yeah. once. I have not considered using it once. I have not come up with an upside to it. Literally, the only reason that I can think of to have it is specifically because you want to make a one detachment list all Deathwing has, and you want a yeah. Land Raider. Slash or, a dreadnought. or a Dreadnought. Yeah, to end up great. That's actually not true. I have paid for it on a Dreadnought once. <gasps> uh, because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked and appalled. I, it was because I took a first company and a second company detachment. So I needed my a dreadnought that I took to have a first company. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense, but I I think you're wrong. <laughs> I really wanted a dreadnought back in the day. It was like I was That's like preparing fair. for like dark uh, uh, dark Eldar, and I'm like, yeah. man, I just I just have to get a dreadnought in here. When I first cracked this book, I expected to find some cool stuff later in the book that would make this meaningful, and there's literally nothing that makes this meaningful. It's it's. It's crazy. All right, uh, moving on to the stratagems. Now, I think there is some big hits and some big misses here with the strats. First, the first one being Wrath of the Lion, which I've never used. Um, but please tell me I'm wrong. No, I mean you're not. I think it's fine. Um, it, it's no, you're, you're not going to use this often. Like who am I kidding? No. Um, but um, there, there are some really good ones here. So um, one thing we will, will point out that a lot of these strats are very, um, very specialized for the units that can use them. Most of them are either Ravenwing or Deathwing applicable. And but the Ravenwing elements and the the movement shenanigans this book has is evocative of Avon Eighth Edition Codex. You get double move. You get um, 
of course, the, the fall back and shoot. You get a four plus invuln on a, a Raven Wing vehicle. Um, some stuff on here is extremely good. Of course, you, you also have my favorite thing, my favorite um, strategy in the book, which is the the, um, the bounce out of combat after you've attacked. Yeah, there there was some really like high quality rules in here. Honestly, um, I, I think the stratagems. Because like marine stratagems are very much you don't rely on them, but they're nice to have like in general. So having a book with some stratagems that you actually legitimately want was I found it very refreshing because you, yep. you didn't plan on that before. And I yeah. think Dark Angels have a couple of good ones. I mean, I think the one that I actually ended up using the most was targeting guidance, which was the pick a unit with an 18 of a speeder and, and get an aura of plus one to hit. It's it's pretty good. Uh, uh, very, very good. Especially if you're, I mean, you're taking Telemasters, aren't you? They're mm -hmm. already giving you your speeders. Uh, so I, I do think that's really good. There was a lot, there was two stratagems in here that caused a lot of a stir. The first one being Secret Agenda. Um, and I'll read this one out for baiting people because I don't think it's something that a lot of people are prepared for when they play Dark Angels plays. And I've certainly caught people unawares because they just don't remember this exists. Um, use a stratagem after selecting secondary objectives or agendas. Do not reveal one of your selections to your opponent the first time you score points for that. Um, reveal it so they can see it and so I, i've used this quite a lot um really? well i exactly what you said before i've used it when i've taken stranglehold instead of stuff in defiance is, is the most important one people deploy aggressively thinking that they're going to be able to encircle me because i'm playing because i'm playing stuff in defiance and then i i charge all my units off objectives and, and go and get them and get stuck into them and they don't see it coming well, it's, it's caught them out a couple of times it's mostly to, to make people's the, the, the their turn one not what they think it's going to be um okay, have you used like it much so I, I haven't used it a single time, honestly. I've tried. Yeah. I like, I know that's not true. Again, no, I have used it exactly once. And I used it, and then like at the end of turn one, I was playing Nick, and Nick's like, Nick just like looked at it, at the board, and he's like, okay, so it's retrieve Octarius data, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> maybe. That's then, a like, thing, right? two, I deep strike a Terminator squad in his deployment zone so I could start there. And I was like, yeah, it was retrieve Octarius data. He's like, okay, cool. And we just moved on. I have used this to hide Linebreaker before. When I'm playing a Ravenwing army, and I take Linebreaker and not engage, uh, because I I, th I feel like getting the four or tw the eight or twelve points for three turns of um, Linebreaker will make me bleed out less of my units than diving every turn for two or three points on engage. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be not too bad, but it's not. It just doesn't work against a lot of armies. I like it in some of those missions where it's easy to turn like a, a Dawn of War into Hammer and Anvil. Yes. You can kind of like yep. overload a flank and then your opponent yep. overloads a flank and you're like, surprise, I have I have like behind enemy lines. Like I actually yeah. want to be in your deployment zone, even though that doesn't really matter. Now it suddenly does. The other one that really broke people's brains was the fact that Weapons of the Dark Age still existed. Now this was, I mean, the, the, the 8th edition Dark Angels book was really sparse on like the rules that actually mattered and made an impact in the game. But Weapons of the Dark Age was one of them. And people were like, oh, if that exists in 9th edition, it's just going to be crazy. Oh, it's going to be too much. Um, and so it's, it's 2 CP and just get plus 1 damage on your plasma weapons. Now, when this book came out and things like... Uh, sorry, things like Necrons were still a big deal. They're playing into Deathwing, uh, sorry, uh, Death Guard as well. This was quite nice. Impulse, like in Interceptors were still quite a bit cheaper than they are. Sorry, Inceptors were quite a bit cheaper than they are now. And you could get a lot of mileage from this. As the game got faster, I feel like this this has been one of the biggest drop-offs in powerful stratagems that there are. Because yeah. I've, barely, I've barely used this in the last six months. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I don't think I've used it once. Um, I don't ever take units i could use it on like the, the most i could do was like i saw people take land speeder vengeances and they would like tell people that they could make a damage for just in case they had yes custodies terminators yeah 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 like, it never happened for me like not even yeah. once 
And I've been trying so hard to find a unit where this gets mileage. Like, I was trying to convince myself that, you know, 10 Hellblasters with Asriel, you know, in a Bastion, you know, just dumb stuff that it's it's just never going to be value um, is, is a good thing because you've got weapons of the Dark Age. And it's um it's just hard to wield now. It's mostly because Inceptors just never get their value back and never get close, never get half their value back. Oh, congrats, you came down and killed a Raider. Or you came down and failed to kill three Talos, which is very, very likely. Um, and it's just really, really rough. Um, are there any others here that are, are bread and butter for you we should talk about? Um, I mean, I feel like uh, the one that I actually use the most is Tactical Appraisal. It's just one CP, pick someone within six, and yes. your Warlord, and, chain, and give them a different Doctrine. It's extremely good, isn't it? It's very powerful as well with how uh, the different doctrines you know play in your army. I've used that the only time, like I said, I've used that um, fire into combat was when I was in um, assault doctrine. I needed to to dial back because ten intercessors wanted to shoot into combat, and it did make a difference because I could just be like, "You sir, you are in tactical again," and bada bing, bada boom, shoot myself out. Mm -hmm. um, it's very powerful when when you're planning for it. The other one that um, I like, one of my cheekiest ones, is the hunt because I'll t I'll regularly take like a um, a super smash a super smash chappy or a um a ravenwing champion and i'll tool them up to be extra killy and all this stuff and then i'll just let my opponent know that i can hey this guy can go 12 inches and then a godload of inches and declare a charge turn one on two just about whatever he wants um and so that usually that's more of a psychological play than anything else but i have used that to kill things like skatari marshall's turn one mm -hmm. um and then you know i'll pay another two cp and stasis shell a unit of uh, vanguard and then like tap into them so they can't fall back and so people have to pull out all their sakarans turn one which means my telemasters get to kill them and so stuff like that's been really potent as well uh, so yeah there is a lot of play here and um, what i do like about it the most is it is quite a dynamic tool set of, of stratagems which it's it's pretty exciting mm -hmm. I, I like dark angels a lot like they they have a lot more tools it feels like than most marine chapters and we thought that kind of on release we're on release we're like oh wow dark angels get all these things they get a no fall back they get yeah. advanced and do stuff they get double moves and Again, for some reason that always surprised me, it never felt like the coherent Dark Angel package came together for everyone. Yeah, it, it, it did indeed. So jumping over to the Warlord traits, um, where do you sit on these? Because I think there's like one good one and then the rest, right? Yeah, I mean, I would occasionally take the, uh, or I would think about taking Watched for Deathwing. Yeah, you know, Especially yep. lately, that, that's been more of a concern. But really, I I don't take any of these at all, other than, of course, Brilliant Strategist. Tell us about that one. Why is it so good? I mean, Brilliant Strategist is number one on the table. It's number one in the book. It's number one in our hearts. <laughs> in, a, in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> it's very simple. You pick a unit within uh, six inches of the Warlord in your command phase, and you just bump it down in Doctrine, where uh, if you're in Tactical Doctrine, it pretends it's in Dev. If you're in Assault Doctrine, you pretend it's in Tactical. Mm -hmm. um, this, is, this is just good after turn one. Turn one... You know, you're probably shooting with long-range guns that are uh, heavy weapons anyway. And after that point, you get two turns of just for free, poke someone into Dev Doctrine. And then after that, put someone in Tactical Doctrine. So super, yeah. super easy, super clutch. It's, it's Asriel's Warlord trait. Asriel has a big incentive to be your Warlord. Even if you don't take Asriel, it's a good trait to put on someone else. Like, this, this is just money. Just a, a good trait. Agreed. The only other one I'd like to point out is inexorable for the in the Deathwing traits because this is a bit of a sleeper. Now, I have made a fridge, um, you know, a, a cinder block, so to speak, of a interrogator chaplain because you can make the really killer interrogator chaplain, which we'll talk about later. But you can also make the very survivable one, and this is a, a strat for minus one damage uh, because you can take this and iron resolve. And so he goes up a wound, it gets six up in 
feel no pain by default and then gets a minus one damage, has permatranshuman, has a four plus invulnerable save, moves 12, you know, self buffs, still killy. Um, and it's, it's actually quite a nice combo if you want to go all the way down that rabbit hole. It gets over, overlooked a little bit, but it's for obvious reasons. There's so many good Waller traits available for Samaria, Space Marines already. Um, the Okay, so we're going to talk about the Psychic Discipline, which I think is one of the best Psychic Trees in the game. It's got two power, three, two or three powers in here that are as good as anybody's. Yeah. And yet, unfortunately, in the current meta, we just don't see it. it would give us the four one one. I mean, the the spells here are all great. Like I, I when 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 we did the this episode the first time because I, I believe yeah. I was on that show when we first reviewed the Dark Angel Codex. I I remember I was like Ezekiel is an auto take auto take with Ezekiel. Yeah. He's in every list. Like I think we were on the same page about that. Um, like you don't take anything else because Ezekiel's just so good. But all of these powers work on the enemy. Or I shouldn't say all. Almost all of these powers hinge on your ability to interact with the enemy. They're not like, pick one of my units, make it better. Yeah, and exactly. that was really good at the time for the meta we were in. That was when we were in Death Guard meta. And you know what? Those Terminators were never in a, in a Chaos Land Raider. Let's not lie to ourselves here. Um, like They were really good. And then like I felt like the second we hit Dark Eldar meta this stopped being relevant because no one cares if you make a raider fight last. The guys inside will get out, introduce you to their very sharp knives, and you would just move on. Yeah, exactly right. So, I don't yeah. know. Like, I mean, there, there were some hits here, like uh, Engulfing Fear can take away Objective Secured. It was amazing. Extremely um, powerful. And my, the first iterations of my list was this guy and a, um, a Raver Lieutenant with... Um, with uh, the Vox Spiritum to give him extra extra range, and I would just run around just trying to turn off your obsec while I had whilst I had obsec. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it was it was a fun way to play a very boring ish army at the time. Um, yeah. But even then, like mind wipe still good. Um, Righteous repugnance is crazy. Like it's just a roll of seven reels to reels to wound. I mean, and and you know Zeke gets that off with a plus one or a super lib a super lib gets it off with a plus one. Extremely powerful at the time. Um, because yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. But you're right; it 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 hasn't held up. I mean, I don't, I haven't taken a Libby in oh, since Grey Knights came out. Yeah, I mean, Grey Knights, of course, you know, kind of advanced the problem. But like we saw, sisters, sisters would have put Repentia in Rhinos. Then we had, you know, then they had like a they had a litany to auto ignore a spell, so it didn't matter if you put Phylas on. They would just spend a CP to auto pass and ignore it. Um, it just felt like the meta shifted away from debuffs that I put on enemy units. And you know what? Maybe if people go more to Thick City and away from Raiders, like Maybe there's time for it to come back, but I, I'm with you. I haven't written a Dark Angel Librarian into a list in several months. Yeah. I mean, I, I admittedly, they dropped off for me prior to Grey Knights, but they've been out of sight, out of mind since Grey Knights and T-Suns landed. Um, it's just it's just rough. Um, all right. Relics, Relics of the Rock, Relic section. This is, I felt like this was the leanest part of the book. Um, there's only one page of relics, then one page of special issue war gear, and I feel like the special issue war gear options are better than the relics. Um, uh, so I, I just have to disagree with you strongly. Like, what are you talking about? It's fine. Well, there's one. There's one that I take from the from the relic section. Oh, there's it, two. There's pe the pennant. What's the other one you take? Uh, the reliquary if they're repentant. You don't take that. Uh, not always. No, no. A horde meta Australia. You don't always need to debuff those. You just need the, oh, yeah, the quality. We, we did not have those days. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean it's it's fantastic. The relatively pattern, by the way, guys, is the aura of essentially whatever invulnerable save you have. It's now a five plus. If you had a three or a four, it's now a five, which most of the time means it's it's a minus one invulnerable against your blade guard, against your storm shields, against your whatever it may be. Um, and the pen of the remembrance is uh, pick a deathwing unit, it's taken on deathwing ancient. Pick a deathwing unit, they get minus one damage. That is, I've not taken a list without that 
pretty much. Even if I'm just taking Blade, a unit of five Blade Guard, I usually buy the Blade Guard Ancient to buff those guys up with the plus one to hit and the the, the, the pennant as well. Um, what do you usually take? Do you usually take the the reliquary on your apothecary on your champ? What's usually your, your ideas? Yeah, there? I um I, I started off with the reliquary on the apothecary because that was the only biker character I had. Um, I've I did eventually move it over to a Ravenwing champion just to have like a nice like bit of mobile beat stick with a debuff that can go character hunting. He, he was pretty useful. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I didn't have like a like a strict. This is like my guy. For Ravenwing, I, I just kind of alternated between them depending mm. on the list I was writing at the time. But the Pennant of Remembrance, which is, again, just pick a Deathwing Infantry Core within six inches in your command phase and just gets minus one damage. Yeah, and I think that. almost everyone and their mother took at least one 10-man with an Ancient just to have that combo ready to go. Spot on. It was so good. There are some waiting in the wings options here i think mace of redemption but we've been told you know far and wide that 2022 will be very chaos centric mace of redemption is a power mall essentially that you give to you know anybody who take a power mall or a chappy you can place a recrosis as well it's strength times two minus three flat two damage so strength times two obviously brings you to that beautiful strength eight uh bandwidth so you can play around with knights if you want um and then in addition to that each time an attack is made with this weapon against a fallen or heretic stardes unit uh, modified a wound roll of four plus inflicts two mortal wounds on the target and the sequence ends. We already know um, on you know Chappie who has Deathwing, who has Inner Circle, and in Assault Dock, you will rerolls to wound against uh, big chunky models. It's a lot of options here for this thing to become mm -hmm. valuable in the future, isn't there? Yeah, there a future opportunity. You know, I, I would love to see a reason to take some of these weapon relics. Right now, I don't think it's there. Um, and uh, you know, it, I feel like we should. Oh no, never mind. That's one of the special issues. Um, <laughs> of the unseen, but nope, that is not the Talon Master relic I thought it was. No, it's not. Uh, you're talking about Arbiter's Gaze, yeah? Of course I am. You just don't leave home without it, right? If you're taking, if you're taking one Talon Master, this is what they get, right? Yeah, and just for, for everyone at home, uh, the Arbiter's Gaze uh, was the one that let you overwatch on a two. Still really good to have. You know, people always forget about that after, like, and I would, I would remind them, I'd be like, pregame, like, hey, this is the one who overwatched on two, it's the guy of the book. And then, like, they'd, like, be moving up on the Talon Masters, I'm like, hey, don't forget, this is the guy who overwatches on twos. And eventually yeah. they would kind of reach a point in the game where they couldn't do anything about it. Like they couldn't afford the CP for Cult of Strife. They didn't have a Rhino yes. nearby to tank the Overwatch. Yes. And there would be a point where I'd watch people be like, ah, am I going to charge this guy or am I just not? Exactly right. And I, I, I always have a thing. I, I think I win. And so when I was playing regularly before COVID, you know, or in between COVID, when I was playing Dark Angels and I managed to get to turn three with all my Talon Masters in, it, it, it like, unmolested perfectly intact i rarely lost the game and i'd start vulturing vultroning them out and i'd always make sure this guy went in the most nuanced and most nuisance position possible and he's just absolute pest because he's just going to sit on, he's just going to roll up and clear an objective and put him so he can intervene onto any part of the objective and then what you can't charge him you can't just walk on there you can't yeah a lot, a lot of goodness to be had here i did have a lot of inroads with the heaven four blade initially because i played with a, a triple a triple uh talon master list for quite a while um and i liked having one smashy talon master he's not that smashy he's got five attacks who cares at like strength what six minus four two damage um but the goodness there was i used to sling one out and do attack runs essentially was what i used to call them i'd sling one out because you'd go the 18 inches he would shoot clear one objective charge um kill an, another unit on objective and then pay two cp and bounce back behind my lines um and the five attacks was just enough that I could do a little bit of chip damage, maybe put the heavy bolters into that squad and then finish it in it with the attacks and then bounce out. But uh, as 
Dark Eldar became a thing, that became less of an opportunity. And so I, I just completely dropped him off. All right. On to the secondaries, which is where all the trouble began, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, the, the best secondary here was more of a hidden gem, if we're being honest. It really was, dude. It really was. Everyone just lost their minds over Stubborn Defiance. But the, the one that's broken more games for me has been Death on the Wind. Tell us about this one. All right. Death on the Wind, nice and easy. It's in the No Mercy, No Respite strat, um, category, which means it's the same as to the last. And it's just, it's very easy. Score two victory points each time an enemy is destroyed by an attack made by a Ravening model from your army that moved 12 inches from ordering moving phase of that turn or made a charge move that turn. Um, so just basically, if you take Ravenwing Heavy and you kill seven units, you, you get a 15. You just kind of need to be moving. How many, how many, what's the most amount of points you scored in one turn from this object, from this? Oh, 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a 14 to mine. I've, I haven't yet to go to the 15 in one turn. Um, I've literally scored 14 points on this on turn two. <laughs> it's been so silly. Um, but yeah, th this one is something that has nigh on broken people's brains. Because of course, we had a heavy MSU meta. So we took, and people who could who could contend and, and stop, stop, and defiance. So I'll tell you about that now. So in your first command phase, select an, one objective marker. And at the, each of the command phases, if one of your uh, Dark Angels units that has the objective squid ability holds that objective, they get a number of turns for each subsequent turn that they hold it. Two for turn two, three for turn three, five and five for the last two turns. Um, when Dark Angels became a thing, people did start to take options into their list to try and stop it. I saw people starting to take things like um, because I, I, of course, I, I was taking you know strict, very lean vanguards like you were as well, mate. I took my infiltrators out, so people started bringing bloodletter bombs, like full a full strength bloodletter bomb because it would just come in, wouldn't lose more than ten guys. So you, you'd come in, you know, they'd kill one or two terminators on the objective, and then my fight back wouldn't kill them below you know the eight or seven terminators I had left, and I'd lose my stubborn defiance. Um, and so people just started putting weird stuff like that in that wouldn't be good in any other meta, but because it denied me like seven points on the secondary, they were premiumly good. Uh, how do you feel about it? I mean, it is really good. I very quickly decided I didn't like it as much as I thought I would because um, it, it seemed like when you cornered up that way, it sounded very good. It sounded like, oh, he's just going to get a 95. And then I would do that, and then I would get a 90 because something would be missed you know my to the last would huddle up yeah and on my priority objective and then i would take something else not get to do decent on it like i'd get a 10 on rods but then i would get like a 35 or 40 on primary because i wasn't going out there and killing anything so my opponent would have one turn of flood and objective and i could protect my yeah. stubborn defiance one enough but they'd, yeah. go, they'd go flood a different one they'd give me a five for one turn and then they would just be scoring points on every other part of the board because i wasn't there interacting with them and that actually mm. turned into a problem was I wanted to use my units. I didn't want my 10-man Terminators sitting in my exactly. deployment zone. I wanted them forward. Well, exactly, because when you add up, you've got 10 Terminators, probably an Ancient, to buff them. It's 500 points. It's a quarter of your army sitting on one objective. Uh, and then if you were to double do, do the double and triple down, you've got a couple of Talamasters sitting behind that. Maybe you've got Ezekiel or Azriel sitting there as well. You're talking about up to a third of your list being immobile, holding down a single objective. I've just lost the primary so many times. I mean, uh, uh, sometimes I win the secondary by so much it doesn't matter. But other times, it, it, it was, whenever I picked Stubborn Defiance, I notice if I win, I win by less than 15 points. That's usually how it goes. It's always this tiny margin win. And I think because it's that way, it gives so much agency and so much ability for your opponent just to be like, all I need to do is mess you up once and you don't win anymore. Yeah, I, I, I ran into that situation as well. I was actually playing a little bit of Tyranids at the time. Um, uh, when I wasn't playing Dark Angel, I did some Tyranid runs, 
and I would play against people with Dark Angels and they would put so much into that one objective and I'd be like, all right, have fun. These 35 points are yours. I'm going to go worry about the rest of them and I would just yeah. outscore them every time. Yeah. It's, it's tragic. But moving on, we're going to talk about the data sheet rules. These have caught some people unaware. This has caught me out personally at an event where I took um, I took Dark Angels successes and I oh. took um, regular Dark Angels in the same list because there was a page that literally said it was okay, essentially, at the start of this codex. And then you get to this one and it says, I'm sorry, it's not actually okay. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a miss because if you do mix and match, what do you lose there, mate, for people at home? So first of all, the successors lose uh, Inner Circle and... Um... Jink. Uh, I believe it's Speed of the Raven, or they lose Jink, I'm sorry. Yeah. Where you get a rule for being a Ravenwing biker, where you get the invulnerable save, you get the the transhuman for Deathwing for being in a circle, and you lose both of those as, as a successor. But you also, if you have a mix of Dark Angels and Dark Angel successors, you lose their Super Doctrine. So you will lose their uh, Advance and Shoot with Ravenwing turn one. You will lose, um, you know, the Tactical Marines shoot into combat. The death wing reroll the wounds against big stuff. You lose all of that. Yes, you lose so much. It turns out I thought you just lost a super doctrine. That's all I. Uh, yeah, because this page, like you read the start, and you're like, oh yeah, it doesn't say anything about blah blah blah. You just lose the mono stuff. But then you lose all your special rules. You lose all your goodness and all your reason to take the dark angels. I think it's quite dark have the least taken successor chapter. Like them agreed. and scars. Agreed. You lose so much, man. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to point those out. And for Inner Circle, that was the Permatranshuman we talked about before. It's also the issue. Um, sorry, it also gives the um, auto-pass morale test. Like, you never take a morale test. and But you have to make a leadership test in order to fall back. And if, you're in, in, and if you happen to be fighting Fallen, you know, not that, you know, you know for all those, that, that big percentage of the meta, you can't fall back at all. Um, and Jink, uh-huh. of course, gives you a 5 plus invulnerable save if you move at all. And if you advance, you get a 4 plus. It's really quite good. Uh, jumping down to the data sheets, though. And there's a couple here I do want to talk about in some depth. Um, the first and foremost being Asriel. And I know you were a huge proponent of his, so sell him, sell him for us. Asriel is Asriel's just a tank. Like, who are we kidding here? So Asriel is the chapter master of the Dark Angels. He's a named character, so obviously you have to be pure Dark Angels to take him. I don't think that's a big deal. I think almost every Dark Angel list was pure Dark Angels. Only the real weirdos like Adam were doing anything else. <laughs> um, he's a walking dude. He's got two up armor. He's got enough wounds. He's good in combat. Not amazing, but good. He's got, you know, five or six attacks. Uh, the big thing is that he's a chapter master. He gives you a once again deny the witch. He gives you two command points for being your warlord. And I already mentioned that he has the best warlord trait built in. So uh, take two extra CP, have Asriel. Um, and of course, the Lion Helm. He's a six inch aura of four plus invulnerable save for infantry and bikers against ranged attacks. Just if you're an infantry or biker, you got one friendly dude within six inches of Asriel. You get a four pinfold against shooting. That's it. End of story. Done. It's uh, a pretty good swathe of rules. Now, the only one I found that was hard to take good advantage of was the 4-plus invulnerable save. I found that I was taking a lot of uh, Terminator-centric armies as well, which mostly, usually either, they always have a 5-plus firstly. And then you needed to shoot them with, what, Rend 3 to get past their 1-plus their, their to make it even the 4-plus relevant. Um, so I found that not to be as good, but it's he's just he gives you so much. He's still a beater. He's not expensive. Like, what did you say he was? He's a, I think he's like off memory. I think he's like 170. I thought he's 170 or 160. I can't remember which one it is though, but he's not expensive. He's well yeah. and truly sub 200 and you'd, I'd almost pay 200 for him in some armies. Um, how do, is there a build at the moment that you think gets good mileage out of him? I mean, he obviously, you know, the flashiest rule he has besides is plus two CP and uh, four Benvolora. Four Benvolora, of course, uh, he doesn't mean as much for Terminators. Uh, Ravenwing, because they get jink on uh, their bikers anyway, it's not 
as big if you advance you get a four up interval anyway if you don't you have a five up interval which is not as good as a four up but it's still not bad um he he seems to want to work best in green wing it's just that all the rest of the dark angel rules are good but they work best on Deathwing raven wing so yeah. you don't expect to see a lot of green wing in the armies and truly we, we haven't seen uh green wing be a very popular build for dark angels yeah i i conceptualized for a while i conceptualized a brick or, or horde like almost horde intercessor um dark angels list with azrael at the core because i was like oh there's nothing that drakari have that'll go through um 10 you know 10 transhumaned intercessors with a four plus six plus 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 you know um so I was like, well, is this just going to be good? Because then if they try to no escape you, you just shoot yourself out of combat with like relative ease. Um, and so I conceptualized trying to that be a thing. And of course, it didn't end up coming to any fruition. But that could easily be a thing, you know, chapter proves around the corner. Who knows what's going to happen to some of those units? I'm hoping, and I have no, I have no indication or foreknowledge of this at all. I'm hoping the Space Marine troops get a little bit cheaper. And so, you know, maybe there is something there. I think... Um, Especially with like the the gravis intercessors, the heavy intercessors. If you wanted a budget stubborn defiance option, but that doesn't cost so much that you feel like you have to play stubborn defiance with it, um, them and Azrael, it's not a it's not a bad shooting unit, and yeah, they become really hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they, they yeah. become hard to kill, but because it's shooting only, it got a little awkward because Dark Angels yeah. aren't a very fast army usually. At least exactly. Ravenwing are, but then the Ravenwing already have their invul, so it, it got a little weird. Where yeah, the, the list like, you were trying to build never felt quite right to me. Exactly, exactly right. Um, and the only only in shooting, we so much of the shooting left the game, but it still remains very potent against things like, you know, you talk about multi melters, heavy flamers from sisters. You talk about gray knights as well. But the weird thing is that the 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 rend brackets the gray knights work at the four plus doesn't come into account that usually that much. A lot of storm bolts, yeah. a lot of rend one. It doesn't matter that much. Yeah, and it's always weird where the meta kind of determines how valuable it is. And right now there's a bunch of AP one and two guns flying around and then a really high AP close combat flying around. And that's not what I care about at all. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Belial. I, I looked at Belial when I first saw him like, Oh, this guy's just better than Azrael in combat, like a lot better, but then he has like no other relevant rules apart from, over and above a captain. So I moved on. Um, Sammy, I have used a couple of times. Um, uh, Sammy with attack bikes was quite good because, of course, Asriel as a, or another chapter master doesn't on foot doesn't keep up. Whereas Sammy was actually quite good value if you put a chapter master on a bike um, and tooled them up. Sammy's like ten points more, and he gets like a plasma cannon, double storm bolt, a good close combat weapon. Um, so yeah, I thought he was quite valuable, but he dropped off in my list pretty quick as well. How about yourself? He just never quite made it up for me. Like every time I looked at him, I'm like, eh. Could I just take a Talon Master? Like, yeah, yeah. I can just, I'll yeah. just take a Talon Master. That's my thoughts as well. Back when he used to, because uh, and the biggest change in this codex was that you can no longer take him on the land speeder. And I took him, every damn army I had in 8th edition had Sammy, started with Sammy on his speeder. Without Sable Claw, just being on the bike, you're just like, oh, a Talon Master just does more. Still has two relevant buffs. Um, he has two relevant buffs. Um, and his shooting, the shooting from a Talon Master is way better than the shooting and combined shooting and close combat from Sammy. So is what it is, man. Yeah, uh, your, just never made the cut for me, unfortunately. Your pick for the next one. Where do you want to go from here, data sheet wise? Um, I mean, honestly, we already talked about Ezekiel. He was good, but I think we pretty clearly established why we cut him. I feel like we should take a second to just talk about the Talmaster, honestly, before we move uh, out of the HQs. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Talmasters are a very unique and very special unit that no one really has an equivalent of. Uh, 
for the same price point. I mean, there, there is like Morven Valve. There is now like a couple of really um, quite impressive shooting character dreadnoughts from Iron Hands or, you know, Bjorn and stuff like that. But Talonmaster combines speed, durability, shooting power, dynamic um, stratagem support. It's really a, a great package, isn't it? Yeah, you, you never really had anything quite like it. I mean, it's a character with a twin heavy bolter and a twin assault cannon, so it puts out 18 shots. It's ballistic skill 2. Modifiers no longer stack, so you're never hitting worse than 3s. You no longer take heavy penalties because uh, it's ninth edition now. So like these things were hidden on 2s a lot more than before, and when they weren't hitting on 2s, uh, they were hitting on 3s and never any worse. So it, it, it was just generically great. Um, I loved it. Like I... Like the second I saw this as an option, I'm like, oh yeah, we're taking <laughs> several of these. Like yeah. this is on the menu now. Mm. Um, I yeah, I just I couldn't get over how good they were. Like they they did go up in points, uh, un, un, understandably so. I'm not actually particularly mad about that. Yeah, me either. I think they're still amazingly good value. I think a one of in just about every Dark Angels co- Dark Angels army will never be a bad option. It's just I suppose it's just whether you justify the second or the third. Um, I yeah. only I only justify three of them now when I'm going for a, to the last play, and so everything else in the army is like polarized around being that hundred, under 175 points. And so I was actually happy to see them go up in points because it made the to the last game a little bit better, a little bit easier. <laughs> I didn't. I never minded them as a to the last, but usually I would have like a Terminator or a something else. Yeah, to the last, so it, it didn't come up that often for me. Um, I like them though. I, I really, I liked the Talmasters. I like when they're disposable. I like when they're to the last. They're they're just generically great, and it's one of the more unique pieces that an army has. And it is not interactive, which a lot of people don't like, but it is very powerful. Yeah, undeniably, like undeniably good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Lazarus. He's 110 points. Uh, he's just a, a captain with a, a better better comes with a good melee weapon. A couple of different rules, like he gets damage four against psychers. So he's strength six minus four damage four against psychers. It's very good. I wish terminators and paladins, you know, were more relevant uh, because then he would be so much better. Uh, but it, 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 he's still something that I've been considering. I actually have quite a few lists that I've built him into. Uh, but it's interesting that he's. I thought he'd be amazing when the Grey Knights and the T-Suns came out, but it's interesting to see that the Grey Knights and the T-Suns, whilst having more special, more ability to do mortals than just about everybody else in the game, they really only sprinkle them. Like, I read the T-Suns book, and I'm like, oh my god, I need to be ready to take 30 mortal wounds a turn, and they'll, they maybe they do 10. You know, Maybe the T-Suns army does 10 a turn, because they just don't put their resources that way. Yeah, it, it, everyone was always like, oh yeah, the way to kill these is with mortal wounds, but it never actually materialized. You're right. Like, we... We never actually saw a scenario where it was like, yep, people are spamming mortal wounds specifically to deal with Dark Angels. That exactly. just never happened. Spot on. I mean, I had a little bit of it here. I, I played a lot of games against um, my usual sparring partner, Morisoli, who was um, testing out he was testing a death guard at the same time I was testing out these guys, and he would he would slap me down with like 11, 12 mortal wounds in a turn from the plague skull, a couple of smites, couple you know, cursed leper and stuff. Um, and then I, I really considered using him then, especially you know, I was playing in a local event. I'm like, well, if I I got to be able to beat Morisoli to win the event essentially. So Lazarus was making a couple of a couple of my prospective lists. Um, but above and above that, I think he's actually a decent answer if you're struggling with um, dread knights. Now hear me out here. Um, he's damage four against them first and foremost, so of course that's really good. Comes with five attacks base, six on the charge, hitting on twos and wounding on fours. Now he also has a caveat that when he dies, he fights on death for free, even if he's attacked. So you can charge him into a dread knight, get your six attacks hitting on twos, wounding on fours. So you know 
usually it'll be three wounds, and then die and do the same again. And so for 110 points, you can just go in and just nuke a Dread Knight if you want to. And I think in, in, in on and above that, he still gives that aura of 5-plus mortal uh, um, against, sorry, 5-plus pseudo-feeling pain against mortal wounds, and he himself has a 4-plus. So he can be not bad to run around, be a nuisance, you know, if you're playing against a psychic heavy army. And I do expect him to go up a little bit in value when things like demons come out, Eldar come out. There's still a couple of mortal heavy armies uh, that haven't been revealed yet uh, also tyranids um mm-hmm. do you see any further play there or do you like that little idea he's also good to scarab called terminators to be because their psychic is really goes to damage four against them um yeah. he, he's not bad um like I, I really don't mind lazarus i've thought about taking him at just an awkward spot where whenever i take a captain i'm like all right how many more points is it to get me to asriel yes that's right. that's two right. cp and a little bit of a you know, and uh, and some special rules better than Azrael. Eh, I don't know about that. That's fair because I think it is for is yeah. I, I seem to think it's fifty points between him and Azrael, or sixty points. So Azrael's probably one seventy. Yeah, Azrael um, is one seventy. Yeah, and so how many? How many? So this, this is a fun question I ask people in eighth edition. I used to ask people, you know, how much? How many points? If you could pre-game, pay a, uh, points in your army to just buy. Uh, by strategy command points you know would you play a 900 point a 1900 point army to buy a couple of command points and if you would how many points would you be happy to pay for a cp yeah it's it people are willing to pay is the awkward Dude, part of that how, how many would you pay if you if you if you could buy cp with the points allocations on your army list how many would you pay i would i think i would pay uh i'd pay about 30 points of cp that's the consensus. I love yeah. that. I, I expected it to. It's the first time I've asked somebody since eighth edition. Eighth edition, people were like, "I'd pay fifty points for a CP because it, they were so important to so many armies." Like, especially things like chaos, like um, chaos space marines and elder armies. Were like, I'd happily pay 19, 1900 points to have two more CP um, because I could just fire a whole new fire and fade a whole another two veterans of the long wars or a double shoot. Uh, but yeah, in today's day and age, I think they've dropped in value a little bit. I think CP now is around, you know. Some between 25 and 35 points. Yeah, I was thinking 20, 30, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how that changes. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to ask people people in the comments of the YouTube or um, up in the Patreons or whatever, chuck up how much you would pay for a CP. I think that's sick. Um, next one I want to talk about is the Apothecaries. We're, we're jumping over a bit of the, the Deathwing units just because people know what they do, whatever, we don't need to really touch on it. Um, and my beloved Blackwing, Deathwing, uh, sorry, Ravenwing Black Knights, who I wish do not have to pay for their freaking Corvus Hammers come God. chapter approved. I can't believe that they have to pay five points for their Corvus Hammers. It's inane, inane to me <laughs> that they're 45 points a model. I just wish they could take Chainswords. They would be better with Chainsaw. Oh my God, that's actually so true. If they had a Chainsaw by default and you kicked it up for the, the Corvus Hammer, they'd be legit. They would be well, legit. That's what kills me, like, comparing the, like, the Corvus Hammer. I know we were about to talk about the Apothecary, but we're talking Black Knights for a second here. Like comparing the Corvus Hammer to a Chainsword, the Corvus Hammer is not that much better. Same rent. It's one damage and one strength for five points over over not the the bare fists that they've got at the moment. Uh, over and but that's no but no plus one attack, and they're not that's exactly true. a large quantity. I would rather have a Chainsword because I want four attacks to do it. I don't want three. Exactly right. And there's so many of the matchups at the moment that the damage to doesn't mean anything anyway because there's so much minus one damage out there. Like you're just like, well, I'm just paying five points for plus one attack plus one strength when I could just have plus one attack for free if they had a Chainsword. You're absolutely right. That's a big big deal. Uh, so on release, Ravenwing Apothecaries for some reason had six inch auras of feel no pain, <laughs> which has now been nerfed down to which has now been nerfed down to, to three. Uh, but the Ravenwing Apothecary is still in my mind the best apothecary in existence, right? Oh yeah, him and the Blood Angel one. You take an apothecary, it does the same things as a normal one. Doesn't cost that much more, and it is that much faster. 
done. It's moving 14. Comes with an involve that you can't get otherwise because it's Raven because it's Raven Wing or you know mm-hmm. comes with Jink. Um, and yeah, it's it, oh it's something your right flank got hit harder than you expect. Off goes the dude who can now who can double move as well. Um, you know, for a non double move, you get another 12 inch move, so you can just sling him around, res heal, res heal. It's, it's amazingly good value. Uh, any other data sheets? Oh, sorry, dark talents. Okay, okay. I don't, I don't know if anybody on the planet, probably I'm lying right now, but I've, I don't know if anybody of anybody else who's made who's tried to make dark talents work as much as I have. I have I've tried, tried. I, I, I can't claim it's as much as you, but I have tried. I have been. Nick and Nick and Jack are actually sick of it because every time there's a problem army, every time someone's looking at a new <laughs> list, every time we're picking a matchup, I just like poke my head and I'm like, "Hey, uh, how about those dark challenges I have? <laughs> I've never taken them to a tournament. I've uh, I haven't. I can pretend I have. Yep, they're there, and I'm always thinking like, what about these dark talents? Can we can we use dark talents? I have taken Maybe? them to a, I've taken to a couple of events, and they haven't disappointed. They haven't disappointed ever. Are they? Were they? Do I always feel like they were worth the two hundred and ten points per model? God no! Like dear God, two hundred and ten points is is so over the top. That the gun that they have, the one that everyone raves about, the Rift Cannon. It's so it's it's heavy D three, so you can have one shot or three shots. Um, strength twelve, uh, no rend, no no damage, and because each each time a successful wound roll is made, you just take three mortal wounds off somebody. It's it's the mo- one of the most consistently good anti-horde and anti-vehicle uh, guns in existence in the game because I, i've just rocked up and just killed nine um necron warriors uh I, three three shots because you got a 20-man squad well i've got i've got telemetry that you said the plus one to hit he's going to hit you on twos and then twos to wound bang nine gone see you later mate um really 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 potent and so amazingly good against everything but 210 points is ferociously hard to justify it is it it really really is because they're they're still fragile for what they are is like the hard part of everything um have you, have you got them in front of you read out what the what the starter sheet says there. yeah sure so a ravenwing dark talon um defensively it's a it's an aircraft it's t6 11 wounds three up armor save it has jink so it means it's gonna have a five up interval all the time and if it advances it'll have a four up um and for one cp you can have a four up interval as well all against range um it has the rift cannon which is d3 shots only 18 inch range Strength 12, Blast, uh, doesn't have any pure damage because each time you make a wound, you do three mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. So it's D3 shots where you could roll one shot and then miss or roll a one to wound, uh, and then that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you can roll three shots, hit on twos, wound on twos, and just do nine mortal wounds to Necron Warriors, as you said. It can be very sexy. Uh, it also has two Hurricane Volters, and it has a Stasis Bomb. Stasis Bomb? Stasis Bomb. Stasis Bomb. <laughs> Uh, just to read that out, once per game in your movement phase, after this model makes a normal move or advances, you can select one enemy unit this model moves across, and uh, the selected unit suffers D3 mortal wounds and is caught in stasis, and unless it's a vehicle or monster, it cannot fall back. So, having a no fallback mechanic is super, super strong for reasons that are obvious, mm-hmm. and uh, doing D3 mortal wounds is great because it works on characters, there's no rolling, it's not every dice you take a mortal, it's just D3. It is. It's really good. And it just happens. There's no two plus. You can't fall back. There's no roll off. It's just like uh, that thing, this one turn, that thing cannot fall back. I've used it really well and caught people out. Like I played a game, I guess an opponent who unfortunately infiltrated up some um, infiltrators. And I just first turned Dark Talon went over, Stasis bombed it, and I pivoted. I pinned my whole army off the damn thing. 
couldn't couldn't shoot anything apart apart from the dark talent turn one. And now that I realize you can actually drop the stasis bomb and fly off the board, next to, next time I do it, you're not gonna be able to shoot the dark talent either. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's quite cool the, the what it brings to you, mm-hmm. the toolbox it brings. But if you're bringing one in the in today's game. If you go second, that one is probably cooked. Even though you can like reactively give it a four plus invulnerable save, it's not enough to save it. Yeah, I mean the best thing that I was able to do with it was uh was that you can target characters. So if you had yes. a couple of them, it got very expensive, but you could do a lot of things. Where back when everyone was complaining about the uh the foul blight spawn or yeah. death guard or the tally man, because you would give like all their dreadnoughts exploding sixes and plus one to hit and give you a bunch of CP. Or this Katari Marshal. Marshal. Four, only four wounds. Like, only not, four wounds. It's a character. Yeah. You can just buzz a couple dark talents straight overhead, kill them, kill, the, kill this character, go off the table, and then just turn to your opponent is missing a buff character. You step your whole army out in tactical doctrine. They arrive back from reserves. You're just like, oh, hello. You're about to have a bad day. It could exactly go so right. well. It's yeah. tantalizing, but it doesn't always go so well doesn't always go so well i've tried that i've killed i, I used th- um three of them once and killed arm in turn one Oof. so to speak you know 630 Oof. points for the privilege you know if i took 630 points of like any sniper any amalgamation of sniper units i'd probably kill him as well but um, uh, you know it's there if you really want to go after it yeah, um, it, it's so tempting because it is right there it is exactly right um so that brings us to the end of the content of the book. I feel like we did this one really quickly because we know this book so well. We didn't fluff about with the stuff that kind of doesn't matter. But is there anything in particular you think Dark Angels have going for them, like post data slate into like the LVO run to the new season with some of the new books we have on the horizon? How do you, what do you think their their prognosis is? I mean, I feel like the main benefit here is just that you get a lot of different tools and a lot of different rules because you have all the different aspects i feel like every time there's a new shift in the meta i always go back and check to see how dark angels fit into it because like you can do some cool anti-monster stuff there which uh you know what if there's a lot of monsters like talos in your meta maybe that will come up but yeah it's not always there yeah exactly right um i feel like that i feel like talon masters are going to get better again I see the armies that are coming out, like Gene Steel Cult, yeah. If they don't have good Ignores Overwatch, that Arbiter's Gaze Talonmaster, they just can't deal with him. He just gets to do what he wants. No, that's the darkest timeline. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's your, that's your darkest timeline. Um, but yeah, I do... Uh, look, Terminators aren't bad, are they? Like, It's not like Terminators have fallen off into somehow tr- tragically awful or anything. They're still exactly the same obnoxious unit that they were previously. It's just that they can be... Cer- everyone's learned how to circumnavigate them, right? Mm-hmm. 100% yeah terminators are still just really solid um like there's no way around that sometimes people aren't taking the right tools you know right when right when dark angels came out i felt like everyone was going hard against dark angels and then yeah. they did not want to play them mm-hmm. and then we kind of hit a point where everyone forgot and i'm like mm. you know like I, I don't know if this new meta list that's killing everything i don't know if it can kill dark angel terminators let me just check on that sometimes it can sometimes it can't but it's important to have that in mind yeah, fair, fair, fair. Um, all right, man. Let's give this our rating. Let's put a, let's give us a rating out of ten for how good you think this book is still for Dark Angels players. Like how much they should be in love with this book still. What do you reckon? Um, I I honestly think I would put it at like a six or seven out of ten. I think it's above. I think it's above an average book in general. It's probably right about average in the context of what is a ninth edition book. 
I think it's like a, a solid ninth edition book, but it's not one of the best. It's not one of the worst. I think it's a mid-tier ninth book, which means it's above average because plenty of people still have eighth books. So what do you give it in the, in the where do you put it in the, the C to S tier? Uh, B plus. Yeah, fair. Fair, fair, no. fair. It's very close to where I was putting it. I was going to put it A to A minus. Um, and I do think it's on the decline right now because I feel like there's a lot of things in the actually no no I think it's on I think it's on the incline. Um, I think I think it's on the rise. It's like, on the I, rise. Sorry, I said that yeah, the wrong way around. I, to be B. clear, I, I had it middle of B before. I think I think it's getting a little better. And with yeah. a little exploration, maybe we'll talk about that in part two. I could oh, almost yeah. see it getting there. So uh, great segue because I do think this is about a seven or an eight out of ten for Dark Angels plays. It is actually quite a deep dynamic book that can play in a bunch of different ways. It's just that. The Deathwing style of play just gives you such a linear, plottable game into everything. It's actually just good into every meta. The, 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 I think the worst times for, the, for that that play style are past. As soon as Drakari had no longer had endless MSU and units and models in order to, to mess with your scoreboard, you're going to get much more level um, points again. You're going to be a lot more agency. But I feel like it's still a deep book. I think the Ravenwing play is one of the most dynamic and exciting ways to play the game as well. So you've got both dynamics. And for that reason, I think it's like an, at least an 8 out of 10 for Dark Angels players because you have so many different lists you can make out of it. And it's, it's not like, unfortunately, what we're seeing for some of the Grey Knight books. Even though Grey Knight is more powerful, it's essentially it's a one-build book. You just you take your sliding scale of... of, uh, of um, Dread Knights and Interceptors, and then you just adjust that scale to your flavor, and there's your one list to rule them all. Um, and so for that list also, I, like I said, I'll give it um, probably a yeah, B plus to an A minus is where I put it at the moment. It's more to be determined in the current months. Um, sorry, the upcoming months. So, all right, we're going to go over to part two now. There's a pretty exciting thing that's going to be going on in a week or so when Mr. Siegler gets back from his um, eventual trip to Scandinavia. But I am going to be playing a couple of games on stream. I haven't had any games on the, in the Trap House yet. And I'm kind of holding off because I'm really out of shape competitively. And we're going to do, be doing some stream games all about trying to get me back into shape to be a, a competitive player again. Because I've, I've literally barely played the game in two years. And so we're going to have those on stream. And that first game, uh, I'm going to play Dark Angels, and me and John are going to go write the list over in part two. In addition to that, we have a huge sway of questions lovingly put in by our patron and sub um, subgroup. So if y'all want to get involved, jump over onto Patreon, Art of War Down Under, or the Art of War 40k.com and get that beautiful subscription. Jump in Discord, light us up with questions, jump in the Patreon, slot those questions in, get involved. Thank you so much to everyone who's done so far. And yeah, we'll join the other side. John, any parting comments? No, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to part two. Uh, I'm always like, I write a Dark Angel list about once a month where I just go back through the book and just try to think of what I want to do with them. I'm really excited to sit down. It's that time of the month uh, again. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Beautiful. Love your work, mate. Thank you much for joining us. Thank you much for all the support so far, especially with me trying to go, I guess, full-time as a content creator. I've had nothing but people just saying, go for it, mate. We love it. Hope, hope you can make it. You guys are amazing. I love you all. Thank you all for the support. And I'm eternally grateful for all you guys have done for me so far. Um, and yeah, it's just getting started, baby. Thank you again, John. Have a good night. See you on the other side. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.